Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You are listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you would have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with your sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities, and then to align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. Enjoy the program. Welcome to our program here tonight. I'm uh, pleased to uh, be with you, and and, uh, I was in Kansas City earlier today. Of course, I had to be back live uh, for this program, and I, I told my wife, I said, you know, I said, uh, we have to leave by 4 o'clock to make sure that I'm back here in the studio ready to go. And I said, you know, the interesting thing about radio is 8 o'clock is 8 o'clock, meaning we don't have a choice. The, the program, you know, switches over to BizTalk 8 o'clock whether I'm here or not, and I'm sure Brian, our producer, would prefer that I'm here behind the mic. And it kind of ties into what our program is about tonight in terms of... Uh, uh, being responsible for the things you are responsible for. And I can remember oh, early in my career in a, in, as a sales manager, we didn't hit an objective. Uh, and I worked for a company where hitting the objective was pretty much expected every month. And um, we didn't hit it. And I can remember talking to my boss, my general manager, at the end of the month, when we had to tally up the score, boy, I was ready because I knew we didn't hit it. He knew I didn't hit it. And I said, hey, you know, sun was in my eyes, dog ate my homework, grass was too tall, a million of excuses of why we uh, didn't hit the objectives. And all I remember him looking at me and he said, the reason you didn't hit the objective was you just weren't good enough to get there. Now, I don't know how you would respond to that, but I went home and kicked the dog, yelled at the wife and said, and sat down and did some hard thinking about what he said. And I came back the next day and I said, you're absolutely right. I said, we weren't good enough or I wasn't good enough to get there, which means the team wasn't good enough. I says, but the good thing is we are capable of getting good enough. And and I never forgot that lesson because even today, whether it's biz talk or the performance group, uh, when things don't go our way, the first thing we expect to say, and this is carry over from that lesson, was, well, we just weren't good enough to get there. Here were our lessons learned, and the great thing is that we are good enough to get there. We just have to adjust a few things. So what about you when things don't go your way? Sam Silverstein may have some insight for us. He's our guest on our program tonight. He's the author of the new book, No More Excuses, The Five Accountabilities for Personal and Organizational Growth. Now, that has only been an important lesson uh, for me early in my career, and I was fortunate to have bosses early in my career who spoke the truth and didn't allow excuses. I used to tell my sales team, I said, you know this chart I have to fill out, have these boxes so small that uh, there's only room to write numbers in them. And so that's the reason that is because this is the form we pass up to corporate and corporate doesn't allow excuses. So the, the, the boxes aren't big enough for th- us to write excuses is only to write our numbers in. And when I started the performance group in the year 2000, we've done a lot of work evaluating sales forces across America. 
from Fortune 500 companies all the way down to a company with no more than three or four salespeople and everything in between. And we evaluate these salespeople, or the sales forces, I should say. We go in and do an audit of the sales force. And one of the things we audit is the foundation for success that the sales force have. In other words, do the individual players, including the leadership, have the desire to be successful in their role? Are they desirous to be successful sales VPs or sales leaders or salespeople? Do they want to be successful in that role? That's number one, because without the desire to do that, you're just not going to move anywhere. We also measure their commitment to that. I can be desirous to be successful in a sales leadership role, but am I committed to doing it? And committed committed means doing whatever it takes as long as it's ethical, legal, and moral. The other thing we measure is uh, outlook. How do people feel about what they're doing? Uh, a lot of sales is optimism, how you feel about the industry you're in, how you feel about the marketplace you're selling into, how you feel about your company, how you feel about your products and services, and how you feel about yourself, all factor into being successful in sales. We measure outlook. The fourth success dimension, these are four success dimensions sales teams must have, is responsibility. In other words, does the team make excuses or do they not make excuses? And I was kind of surprised when we start, first started doing these audits how prevalent this was in a lot of sales forces. And maybe that's why we were called in. And we're not called in because things are going rosy. We're, we're called in because companies know that they're better than their performance shows and they're trying to figure out what's holding them back. And I said, I've been fortunate in my career to come from high accountability teams, high accountability bosses. So I was actually kind of surprised to see how prevalent that is in and also the cancer that causes inside a sales organization to perform. Simple excuses such as letting people shop around because that's what people do. Letting, uh, if they're happy with their current vendor, then we really can't help them. Uh, I'm not successful because of the economy. I'm not successful because of our pricing. I'm not successful because of our product mix. I'm not successful because whatever. And at the performance group, we have a saying that excuses are lies we tell ourselves so we don't have to change. So it's kind of a tough order. As you hear me talk about it tonight, you may be thinking about it in your own context. Because as I read Sam's book and getting prepared for our interview tonight, it really caused me to reflect back on my own behavior and what I'm being held accountable to or what I hold myself accountable to. And do I fall into the trap of making excuses? And the answer to that would be yes. I'm not perfect. I do fall into the trap of doing them every now and then. I try to catch it because I know the cancer it can cause. But the real important question is, what about you? As you listen to this program tonight, are you where you thought you would be at this point in your career, at this point in the year, at this point in your company's development? And if not, why not? What's holding you back? Could it be the fact you're accepting the stories and excuses that are holding you back? Only you can answer that. But if you're interested in that, you'll want to stay tuned because Sam has some tremendous insight on that on our program tonight. So if that's of interest to you, you've come to the right place. Before we get started, I want to remind you of some resources that are available. You can go out to the BizTalk website biztalkradioshow.com, that's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. 
And you'll find podcasts of all of our previous programs up there. You can subscribe to it through iTunes, or you can just download them right from the website, or actually listen on the website. We posted several here recently of our guests we've had over the uh, first quarter of this year. Um, So there's new content out there, and I think you'll find it very interesting. So if you're looking for that resource, you can go out to the BizTalk website. Also, we update the BizTalk blog, which is available as a resite. Uh, as a resource, uh, key insights on running your business. And if you're in the sales profession, you want to check out Sales Quick Coach, which are two-minute timeouts to improve your performance. And you can subscribe to Sales Quick Coach on the website also. That's sent out every Tuesday. We take a real-world situation and write a solution to it and provide that to you every Tuesday. So those are some resources available at biztalkradioshow.com. On our program tonight is Sam Silverstein. Sam is an entrepreneur, businessman, and author. He has a solid track record of building million-dollar results. The numbers speak for themselves. His companies have sold over $100 million of products and services. He's even sold one of his businesses to a Fortune 500 company. Mr. Silverstein is the founder of the Accountability Academy. He speaks internationally and consults with companies on organizational growth, leadership, and personal development. His clients include Aflac, Lockheed, Martin, Remax, Pfizer, and Lucent Technologies. And he shared his message of proactive accountability with thousands of people on five continents, showing them how to make accountability their competitive advantage. Sam is the past president of the National Speakers Association. He's also the author of books such as The Success Model, Only the Best on Leadership, The Power of Choice, and of course his newest book and bestseller, No More Excuses, The Five Accountabilities for Personal Growth and Organizational Growth. Sam, welcome to the program. Hey, Jim. It's great to be here today. So, Sam, I was thinking tonight um, that I was going to be better prepared for this program, but then I got too busy with some other things and then uh, (laughs) lost my copy of the book and then my computer internet went down. But then I thought, boy, that probably wouldn't sit too well. (laughs) (laughs) You're so funny. Yeah. I had, a, I had a speech in um, I had a speech in Princeton about a year and a half ago, and I went through New York City and picked up my oldest daughter, um, who hadn't seen me speak in forever. She wanted to see me speak, so we went out to Princeton, and I'd I'd pulled my hamstring slightly about four days prior to that, so I was kind of hobbling along. And they introduced me. I went up on the stage, you know, kind of hobbled up there, and I said, you know, normally I like to run up with a lot of energy, but pulled my hamstring this week, kind of a, a pain, but. That's life, and just went on about things. And after I got off the platform, my daughter looked at me and she said, "Daddy, do you realize you started your program with an excuse?" <laughs> <laughs> Always someone there to hold you accountable, right? Well, exactly. And we all, you know, we all tend to fall into some of these traps. And I think that I think one of the keys in life and whatever we're trying to achieve is is understanding when things aren't necessarily going right and stopping and being observant and and making those course corrections. Right. And well, so let's get into it uh, because uh, I'm fearful tonight. Well, I I already know we won't have enough time to probably give this topic uh, its due. I don't know if you heard my introduction, but it's just, I know from, I have empirical evidence that what you're talking about is so crucial at least in the sales department, where I spend most of my time focused on sales leadership and leadership of companies and sales forces, I imagine that it doesn't just apply to those. It spills over to everything in life. But 
when I get to see the cause and effect relationship this one element can have, uh, I want to make sure we have enough time to give it its due here today. So, Well, absolutely. So let's get right into it for people who are tuning in. Um, you've, uh, let's, first of all, let's talk about, um, you say in your book, there's the five accountabilities. So just briefly, give us the highlight and what those five are, and we'll dive into it from there. Well, real briefly, in writing this book, I interviewed 54 accountability masters around the world from six continents from chairman of the board of major corporations like Hertz Rent-A-Car, Culligan Water Service Master, to the deans and presidents of the top business schools literally around the world. I interviewed heads of state. I interviewed uh, uh, Hall of Fame professional athletes and someone, an explorer that climbed Mount Everest. I even interviewed the gentleman who headed the team that rewrote the South African Constitution 20 years ago when a new nation was born, which would be like you and I sitting down with Thomas Jefferson and having a cup of Starbucks. And here's what I discovered through those interviews and, and, and all my research leading up to this. I discovered that people want to be accountable. They just don't know what they're accountable for. I discovered that people see accountability as a consequence, when accountability should be your competitive advantage. They see accountability as a consequence, meaning it's, it's the, to them accountability is standing up and saying, hey, Jim, it's my fault, I'm sorry. Uh, it won't happen again. Well, you know, I deal with mining companies. I deal with sales organizations. If you don't make the sales, it's not the end of the world. But in a mining company, safety, you're talking life and death situations. And then the third fact is that if we are going to make accountability our competitive advantage, we have to be proactively accountable. And everyone has five accountabilities that they are responsible for. They are the same for all of us. They just apply differently in our lives based on what going on in our world, the type of job that we have, our family situation, and, and those sorts of things. So those are the five proactive accountabilities. That's what they're all about. It's about being proactively accountable. And the first one of the five is that we need to be accountable to do the right things consistently. And it's not morally right things that I'm referring to. We always have to be morally right, but we need to do the tactically right things. So if you're in sales, and depending on what industry you're in, you know, one of the proven tactics that might work in your industry is that you need to make 20 sales calls a day. And if that's what you need to do, then that's the right thing. And you need to make those 20 calls every day, not just on Monday and Wednesday and maybe 10 on Friday, but it needs to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day. If you're in customer service, there's certain things, certain right things that you need to be doing every day. If you're the president and CEO of the, of the company, you have your right things that you need to be executing on every day, every week, every month. And when you understand what your strategic intent is and what you're trying to achieve and you take the time to determine your right things, then you gain clarity, you gain focus, and what happens is your productivity goes through the roof. Let's talk about, because you lost me in a little bit in the book, and so I'm looking for clarification. Okay. Yeah, because you come really come down to, as the leader, one of the things you have to get right is your strategic intent. Yeah. So looking at the foundation, give our audience what you mean by strategic intent. Well, your strategic intent could be looked at as your goal. It could be your mission, what it is that you're trying to achieve. Um, when I deal with the armed forces, they, they're, everything is always in terms of mission. What's the mission? And when you look at a company, they have a strategic intent or they have a goal, 
But here's where we get lost. We get lost because we focus on the organizational strategic intent when we really need to understand what the departmental strategic intent is and then what our individual strategic intent within the department is that supports that. So a company might have a goal, an overall strategic intent, and the sales department, their strategic intent is certainly going to be different than the production department. It's going to be different than customer service. It's going to be different than HR. But each department's strategic intent supports the overall organizational strategic intent. And then the manager in the department certainly is going to have a, a, a different, somewhat different strategic intent than all the other individuals. And when you know what your strategic intent is, and as a leader in an organization, one of your jobs is to make sure that the people who report to you understand what their strategic intent is, then they can come up with their right things, those critical activities that we need to do consistently, and we need to do them consistently well. You talk about uh, doing the right things, and one of the things I'll just quote it out of your book. You say, um, "We must empower each member of our team to identify his or her own right things." Now, so let me ask you this: I run into this with some salespeople. In your opinion, is it okay that their simple strategic intent is to, let's say, make uh, two hundred thousand dollars this year? Okay. So is it okay that their strategic intent is that? Sure, that can be that can be their strategic intent, but the strategic intent could also be the strategic intent could be based around expanding the number of customers that they deal with. The strategic intent is can be uh, level of performance measured in other ways. It's not just necessarily sales dollars. Okay. So you know, as a leader in your organization, depending on what you're trying to do. Yeah, as, as a sales organization, do we want to sell more? Yes, but if you're looking long term, I would say there's some other parameters that you're going to bring in as well to make sure that you're ensuring the long term growth of the sales organization. Right, because it could it, parameters around how you would generate that two hundred thousand dollars. Right, I know a company once it had seven customers. That's it, seven customers, the entire organization. Well, you lose one of those customers, and you know this. You know you're you're in a in a world of hurt at that point. And so the strategic intent in the sales department of that organization was not just to raise sales, but was also, you know, at that point, they said, you know, we need to find two new customers this year. Now, it's a specialty business, and customers don't grow on three in their industry. However, if you go from seven to nine, that's a significant improvement. What I was intrigued was your comment about, as a leader, empowering each of your team uh, members to identify his or own right things. Correct. But do you feel as leaders, it's almost like, well, they don't know what that is, so I'm just going to tell them what that is. Well, yeah, but it's, it's sometimes you do that, but I think the greatest leaders in the world don't don't think that they're the only ones in the organization that can think. I think if you have three people working for you or 3,000, you're not just hiring hands, you're hiring minds as well. And if you want a, a more productive organization – then you need to teach and train everyone around you how to perform at a higher level, not just tell them what to do. I mean, in 1945 or 1955 or even 1965, you could tell someone what to do, and that was fine. This, you need to do this, period. And a discussion, that was it. There was no discussion. But today people want to know why, and the why is the strategic intent. So why am I making 20 sales calls a day? Well, you're making 20 sales calls a day because – Historical data shows if you make 20 sales calls, you'll reach five. And when you reach five, you get three demonstrations, 
And when we get to three demonstrations, we're going to make two sales, and you're going to hit your quota. So that's why it's critical. Oh, now I understand. Well, also, once they understand the why and the strategic intent, then everyone on the firing line is able to come up with additional right things, additional creative ideas of, of activities that they could be engaged in that's going to help achieve that strategic intent. And so now, instead of just you or me doing the thinking for our sales force or for our customer service department or for our production department, now we've got everyone on the team thinking at a higher level strategically and tactically, we have a higher level of performing organization. You're listening to Sam Silverstein, the book, No More Excuses. We've covered the first one, which is doing the right things. When we come back, we'll dig in a little bit further with Sam. You're listening to BizTalk on News Radio 1040 WHO. You know, Sam, I forgot to mention in the opening here, uh, also to your accreditation of not only being a past president of the National Speakers Association, but you're also a certified speaking professional. And for audience, that is the highest standard you can get being a member of the National Speakers Association. So congratulations on getting that honor in your career with the National Speakers Association. Thanks, Jim. Okay. Um, one that surprised me yep. when I read it, and then it made sense after I read it, you talk about the second accountability is managing your space. And I never thought of that being part of the accountability process. So explain to our audience what you mean by uh, having one of the accountabilities managing your space. Well, as human beings, we only grow into a vacuum. And so if, if our day, if our time is filled completely, there is no room for growth. And we are accountable to figure out what we need to eliminate, what, what activities we're engaged in, what systems, procedures, however you want to look at it, that we need to eliminate to create space to try something new, something that's going to allow us to grow, something that's going to allow us to flourish at a higher level. It would be crazy to think we're going to achieve more this year than last year if we're just doing the same stuff. So in a manufacturing company, you might create space by eliminating a product line for space to create space for a new product line. But as individuals, as leaders in sales and in business many times, the space that we need to manage literally is our time. And the question that I would ask an organization if I was working with them is if you finished off everything you needed to do by noon but you had to work till 6, what activities would you be engaged in for the balance of the day that, we, that could yield a return for the organization? And when you look at those activities and compare them back to the activities that you are engaged in, I would say, is there one that maybe you should take on? And if there is, what do you need to eliminate to make that possible? And it's like Google. They give their employees a certain amount of time each week where they do not have to perform their normally appointed responsibility. And that time is, is theirs to do what they want to do because Google realizes that if you create a white wall, someone will paint on it, that if you give someone some time, some space, that they'll fill it with something, and you may find that's where your growth comes from. Well, thank you for that because, in fact, there's a new book out called um, uh, Inspiration, or and it talks about having those quiet moments to allow things to come into your life and then inspire you to move forward. Right. And like you said, but Google's been doing that, but uh, 3N's been doing that for, gosh, since the 1930s, just allowing people to go off and think about things that they're not currently actively involved with and how mm -hmm. it comes into the workplace. 
Your third accountability you talk about is managing the process. And I thought this, again, was very good insight into when things are not going well, what do you do about those instead of making an excuse? So explain to our audience how you put managing the process into your accountability program. Well, you can know what your strategic intent is, and you can be executing on your right things, but we all run into obstacles. We can't control the economy. We can't control changes in legislation. We can't control the weather. If you have a plane to catch, you go to the airport. You can't control whether that flight's on time or if the flight's canceled. And when the flight's canceled and they get on the PA and they say, go over to where Jason is standing and he'll rebook you, you have a choice. You can, like, like a herd of sheep, 167 people go get in line where Jason is standing and maybe wait two hours to get rebooked or you pull your cell phone out because you have the toll-free number or the phone number for all the major airlines and literally within two to three minutes you're booked on another flight. When things go wrong, we can throw our hands up and say, well, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be, or we can say, I tried. But the reality of the situation is that we're accountable to manage that process, the process that, that pops up when our strategic intent runs into a roadblock. And through creativity and persistence, we need to find a way to bust through that roadblock to unlock the door. We are accountable to do that. That's managing the process. There's always a process in play. You either abdicate the process to someone else or you retain control and manage it yourself. And maybe you don't hit the bullseye. You don't get exactly what you were trying to get. Maybe instead of that flight, Getting you to your destination at 3 in the afternoon, you don't show up till 4.30, but you get there. And that's the important part. Have you seen examples where companies and their departments have been able to institutionalize managing that process? In other words, they have a they they, have, they automatically go into backup mode or this plan if, if the original plan isn't working? A lot of organizations will refer to that as, as a plan B. So they have contingency plans if things don't go right. And and so that's that's being proactive and that's thinking in advance and what if this situation happens or what if that situation happens. And so they, they have those backup plans. And that's important. But this is what I guess what I'm referring to goes beyond that even into a mindset of I'm not going to accept no. I'm not going to accept that it's not possible. There's got to be another way. Because when you learn to adopt that mindset, you find ways for getting things done that you didn't realize were possible. It's just too easy to say, you know what, I tried. I tried real hard. No, you didn't get the job done. Go get the job done. The fourth out of the five accountabilities is establishing the right expectations. And, boy, I think we could spend a whole hour uh, yeah. just, on, just on this. So that uh, seems to be... Uh, and, I, and I'm also speaking personally because I really have to work at this and get a clarity on expectations and outcomes you really want. And I work with my clients on it, I work with my family on it. Is it just me or why does this seem such a hard thing to do? Well, that's a great question. Why is it so hard? I think it's hard because we base our expectations on the wrong information. And I'll explain that. It's, it's, but here's the thing. Expectations drive us as adults in business. Expectations drive kids. Uh, I was working with a school in, uh, in the Accountability Academy that you mentioned. We're actually in the process of coming out with Accountability Academy for high school and college students because we have a mission to, to teach accountability to a million kids, and we're embarking on this tremendous journey with that. And I was talking with this girl 
in an inner city school in an impoverished area where the in in the United States the average graduation rate in those circumstances is 24%. And this school graduates 100% and they all get accepted to college. And then you got to say, "Wow, what happens here?" And the, it's real simple. She says in the 6th grade a process starts. They don't ask us if we're going to graduate from high school. They ask us which college are we going to? When you change the expectation and then you change or supply the uh, proper resources, you're going to get a different outcome. The reason that we have challenges with expectations is because traditionally we place the expectation or determine the expect- expectation based on, on the past history. You know, in this situation in inner city school, the past history of, of, of someone's siblings or the family before them, if they're not finishing high school, why do I finish high school? In a sales organization, many times we'll look at sales from last year. Oh, wow, I sold 200000 last year. Um, manager comes in and says, we're going to change your quota. So what's the magic number, Jim? What do they, what do they seem to always want to raise the quota by? No. Yeah. 10%, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, 10, 10, 10 to 15% is the norm, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I work in Malaysia, Singapore, all over. They'll sell you 10%. 10%, on, absolutely. Okay, so the, let's say the guy did 200000 last year, and you're going to raise it by 10%. Um, what happens if the industry average was 270000 You just took an underperformer, raised the quota, and the quota is still underperforming where the industry average should be. So knowing your past history is important, but it's not the only answer. You also need the past history of others in your industry. And if it's a personal situation, if you're talking about parenting, expectations of yourself as a parent, well, you need to know not only what you've done in the past, but you need to see how other parents have parented their children so you learn from them. And then you need to get the past history of others outside of your industry. So, for example, a, a president of a hospital that I was interviewing recently, and she said that they benchmark luxury automobile dealers. And I said, what the heck does an automobile dealer have to do with a hospital? She said, luxury automobile dealers are legendary for their post-sales customer service. We're working on our customer service. I want to know what's possible. I want to know how they achieve it. And we can set better expectations if we come up with other ideas about what's possible. So I think when you look at your history, the history of others in your industry, and the history of others in other industries that you can learn from, and you take those three pieces of information, then you're going to be better positioned to set a better expectation, one that will help drive better results for your organization and keep you accountable. So it's it's a little bit more than just, as I heard you talk, to say a little bit more than just having high expectations. Well, absolutely, because here's what happens. If you have low expectations, you don't drive you don't drive very good results. If you set overly high expectations, uh, when I ask people what happens, they say, well, you get demoralized, negative feelings. Yes, right. but you, here's what's even worse. You make bad choices. It's like the banking industry a few years back that, that just spun our economy into such a mess. Their expectations of returns were so high, they started making loans that they shouldn't have made. So many times we'll make bad decisions to try and achieve these unrealistically high expectations, and and that'll cause a problem. So, yes, we want the expectations to be challenging, but we don't want them so high that it puts us in a situation to make the wrong move. And, and thank you for that, because I never thought of putting it in a context of bad choices. And I'll, I'll quote from your book. It's, it's one thing I highlighted, drew a circle around and it's so commonsensical, but, but in your book you write that when it comes right down to it, the only thing you can control 
are the choices that you make. Absolutely. I thought it was very well said. We come back with uh, Sam. We will talk about the fifth and final accountability towards getting towards personal and organizational growth from his book, No More Excuses. But the fifth and, uh, and final accountability is contributing to your relationships. So explain to our audience uh, is, in context. While this is real simple, it's, it's, it's of high, it's of prime importance. And if you think of any achievement you've had in your life, anything that you're proud of, anything that you've accomplished, I would bet every penny I own that there's a relationship involved. And if relationships are that important, then it's critical that we look and that we are accountable to contribute to these relationships. And by contributing to these relationships, I mean both the interpersonal relationships where we're helping others be successful, others achieve their goals, others get what they're trying to get, because then there are going to be all these people out there that are going to help you try to achieve what it is you're trying to achieve, but we also need to contribute to the relationships that we have in the community in which we live and serve and the globe in which we inhabit. And these are critical relationships because when we contribute and give to these relationships, not give back, giving back is okay, but that's a conditional gift. We just need to look to give. And when we give and give and give and we come from abundance instead of scarcity, then abundance comes in our direction. And it just plays itself out over and over and over again. In, in your book, Sam, you've broken out the uh, five accountabilities. And, again, thank you for going over that tonight with our audience. And at the same time, um, when I got through your book, and I imagine some people listening to our program tonight think, man, this seems to be kind of a tall order. How do we bring this all together, and how do we continually execute on this? So how, how do we make these five things actual that are livable inside our organizations and our personal lives? Well, that's a great question, Jim, and that's – you know, the question that I asked for years I, as a professional speaker, speaking to an audience for 45 to 60 minutes, opening up a conference, closing a conference, motivating a sales team. And it's like, well, what are they doing with this information? And I realized that you can't change the world in 60 minutes. It took us a while to get here, and that's why we created the Accountability Academy, because the idea is that if we look at small incremental change each week over the course of, say, 30 weeks, then we can create significant change in individuals and in the cultures of their organization. And that's what you have to look to do is to digest this one piece at a time. And whether you formally enroll in our Accountability Academy or you just take the book and dissect it, you need to take a certain amount of time with each chapter and focus on that chapter for a few weeks and not try and make uh, all-encompassing changes in everything that you do all at once because that's not a realistic approach. Sam, is there one question tonight? I should have asked you that I haven't asked you. Wow. Well, the last one was the important one, I think, and that is taking an idea and putting it into play because the difference between what we don't know and do know is not near as great as the difference between what we know and what we do. And so the question might be is how do we take action? What's the first step? And my suggested first step might be just thinking about what your strategic intent is and take the time to determine your right things. And if you know what your right things are, and you look at the activities that you were engaged in last week, and you look where the mismatch is, eliminate those things that aren't right things. In any moment in time, ask yourself, is what I'm doing right now, is what I'm doing right now moving me closer to the achievement of my strategic intent? And if it is, then it's probably a right thing and you're on the right track. And if someone wants more information, certainly they can check us out at accountabilityacademy.com or samsilverstein.com in the book. There's free articles and all kinds of stuff, and the book is available on Amazon. 
The book is No More Excuses, The Five Accountabilities for Personal and Organizational Growth. Sam, thanks for being on the program. It's been my pleasure, Jim. Thank you so much. This or other BizTalk podcasts may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. You can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies and how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact Performance Group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net.